0: Well, good morning. Week nine, as you just heard, of the Better series, but it's actually a sub-series of a bigger series. So if you're brand new, let me just catch you up to speed. It'll take a few minutes. If you've been with us for a while, good review. Uh, we're actually we've been reading through this book called the Gospel of Luke. It's one of the 66 books of the Bible, and it was written by a real person named Luke. He was a doctor turned investigative journalist. You got it? So he was a uh, doctor, well-educated, scientific method. He knows it all, working through it. And he's hired by this guy named Theophilus, who's called most excellent Theophilus by Luke, which we therefore conclude that he's probably a Roman official, right? So this guy who probably didn't believe in Jesus, wasn't interested in Jesus, didn't think Jesus was actually God, definitely wasn't going to sing songs to him, definitely wasn't going to call him Lord, and yet he had this suspicion that maybe there's something more to life than affluence and influence, which Theophilus would have had a lot of. So what he does is he leverages his own money, and he hires this guy to basically go and do a thesis we would can deduce that he spent years if not a decade going investigating who Jesus is right so in Luke chapter 1 verse 4 he says that he writes his entire biography about Jesus for this purpose so that we could have certainty of the things we've been taught now one of the things I've taught you over and over again you've heard it over and over again is the scriptures what we're going to read from today are both timely and and timeless really important timely in the fact that they were very important for theophilus to make this decision Does he continued say caesar is lord which he didn't believe to be true but it came with some benefits or does he take the big risk of saying jesus is lord so luke t- he tells us he goes and sat with all the eyewitnesses all the people who walked with jesus sat with all the synagogue leaders and pastors who would have preached their oral traditions and written, went and read as many written documents as he could. We can conclude that probably he had read from Matthew Mark. Those are two different gospels about Jesus' life. And he would have gone and written and read like genealogy reports and deeds in, inside the Roman Empire. And he takes all this stuff and he tells Theophilus, timely, knowing through the Holy Spirit that these words are going to end up to us Timeless, so that Theophilus and us can have certainty of the things we've been taught. So you hear that and you go, well, what in the world did Jesus teach? This is really important that you get it. It's how Luke writes his biography about Jesus' life, but really spends a lot of time capturing and highlighting what Jesus taught about. And what Jesus taught about almost exclusively. Right? He didn't talk about just money. He didn't talk about, you know, uh, morality and everything. It was all packaged. Some of those things are underneath the umbrella of Jesus came to bring and he came to teach about this thing called the kingdom of God. Or 92 times in the four gospels it's written either kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. So what Jesus came to bring and talk about was that there was a different world, a different kingdom that you and I could live in. Now, so Jesus puts the whole kingdom of heaven on his back and literally brings it to earth with him. And here's the big aha that I want you to get and understand. That that kingdom of God that he taught about to both Theophilus and to us was available then to Theophilus and others and available now to us. So, in other words, you can live in and experience God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, right now. Now, my guess is many of us aren't really living and experiencing that. So what we've done is go, okay, how do we help each other live in and experience the kingdom of heaven, right? So Luke's going to write 1,158 verses, and 568 of those verses, I'm sorry, 1,151 verses, 568 of those verses are direct quotations. Of Jesus, who taught us how to live in the kingdom of God. And so what we've done each and every week is just open up the scriptures and go, what does it look like to live in the kingdom of God? What does it look like to have certainty, right? What well, we do know, you don't have to be a Christian uh, to kind of be here today or consider these things because what we all would like is certainty, right? In fact, our world <laughs> is really confusing and really, 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 really lacks certainty. It seems, this is a week of that, that the science and the data and the decisions and the policies and the procedures are like this weird shifting sand, right? And you don't have to be on the political left or the political right to go, I, I am so overwhelmed by the latest news and the newest decisions or the old decisions or what it means for my family and for our church and for our community. And so what I'm going to offer you today is a a lifeboat to hop out of the craziness of all that stuff which I would describe as the kingdom of earth, kingdom of the enemy, Satan, to get out of all that stuff, I'm off your lifeboat and go there is a really simple next right step for you today to get out of the craziness, to get out of the circus and lean in more fully, fuller into the kingdom of God. And so we've been in this sub-series called Better and here's what it is when life hands you choices which it does. We want to help you make the next right choice. We want to help you choose better. Now, it gets really, really complicated because when we started the series, right before we started it, Jesus was giving us some real neat teaching on prayer. And then he he actually pauses and prays to God out loud in front of people and he rejoices in the Holy Spirit. So one of the things you've got to understand is the way that you and I experience the kingdom of God is not from your own ability or your own choices, but this Holy Spirit that God, Jesus makes available to us, that helps us make the right next choice. So, each and every week, we're going to harness the power of this, not impersonal power, but this per, uh, this powerful person in the Holy Spirit to make those choices. And so every week, you've just been making one choice. Now, I trust you, and I think it's time to go big or go home, right? So today, you're going to get to make four choices. Got it? Not just one, four all to live in the kingdom of God in the way that Jesus has for you today. It's a week of crazy, so go and get the lifeboat, and there are four decisions you're going to get to make today. Now, if you didn't know, I went to Liberty Baptist Theological Seminary. My first ordination was Southern Baptist. My dad was a Southern Baptist minister, and so as a former Southern Baptist, one of the things that Southern Baptist preachers like is they like to sweat a lot on stage. I will cover that today. And I know, I know it makes sense that I'd wear an undershirt, but then it feels all frumpy, so it's just part of it. So you're just going to get to see me sweat, right, every single week. But the other thing Southern Baptist preachers like is alliteration, right? They're usually like three points in a poem. I'm not that good at those things, but the alliteration piece have kind of gravitated to, almost kind of like as a, a caricature of it. But it's it stuck. So we're going to do some more alliteration today. You ready? Here's the choices for today. When life ain't your choices, choose better. Wow, there it is. You got it. Lots of choices. And we are writing all this in cursive. Because we love our older generation. And we want to honor you in the way that you learn to read and write. Okay? So feel extra special because you have, like, some insider information. Because there's, I don't know, 30% of this room who has no idea what those words say. That's so funny. So anyway, so big, 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 here's the simple one. What we're challenging each and every week to do is choose Jesus over everything else. Just choose Jesus. I promise you it will work out for you. You won't regret it. Never have I ever regretted reading God's words, particularly Jesus's, and following them. Now, I'm not great at it, but I don't think about trying to follow Jesus's words and then look back later and go, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. There's a lot of things I wish I wouldn't have done. But never have I ever, have I ever read Jesus' words and put them into practice and gone, oh, that was a dumb move. So each and every week, I'm going to challenge you to choose Jesus over everything else. But here's the four. Are you ready? Here's the alliteration. Today, you get to choose whether or not you want to be foolish or faithful. Got it? covetousness you want to operate in covetousness or contentment got it uh you get to choose greed or gratitude now by the way i want to challenge you One of the things that i'm going to tell you I want to help you take the next right step in this and so the right is the way you want to go those arrows right you need them they'll flash for a second for you so the next right step got it and then finally finally uh you get to choose to be a container or a conduit uh, so you can take the picture and you can go home. You've got a cover now. You're ready to go. But if you want to stay with us, that's great. I'm going to be reading. So again, each and every week, we're just reading through the Gospel of Luke. And we find ourselves in Luke chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 13 through 21. Then at the end, we're going to jump to the Old Testament. Then we're going to have communion together. It's going to be a lot of fun. But let me remind you of what's been going on. <laughs> Jesus has made a lot of people angry. And the people he's made angry at this point are all religious people. But religious, let me just make sure you understand the definition that we've been working on. Religion is man's attempt to either get back to God, build the ladder, the checklist, right? Or become their own God. And there is no one in our entire world who is really irreligious. We have all sorts of different religions, like atheism, for example. Let me, yeah, I me mean, uh, this isn't like a jab or anything, but an atheist would say there is no God right? So they're not worried about getting back to that God. So let's say you don't have a God, don't believe in God, so what do you do? Well, if you're an atheist and don't have any kind of set of uh, morals or beliefs kind of structured down through the spoken word of this deity up there, your best option is just trying to deduce what your best life is and your best rules and your best things. So as an atheist, many of us would say, well, we don't really believe there's a God, so therefore our best thing is just to create our own little kingdom and live in that kingdom in the way that we have determined is the best way to live. Now, sometimes we use our mega, you know, our bullhorns like Christians do as well to talk about all the silly people who believe in fairy tale gods and thoughts and prayers, and they take the jab. We take the jab, right? But for an atheist, there is no God. So the best thing that an atheist can do, and I don't blame you for this, I don't blame them for this, is to go, well, if there is no God, the best thing I can do is just create my own little kingdom, my own little family and just kind of be the Lord and the boss over all that, So religion is either man's attempt to get back to God, eat the right food, pray a certain amount of prayers, pray in a certain direction, don't eat the wrong foods, do the checklist, don't covet, don't have adultery, don't murder anyone, whatever that list is, follow the list and either get back to that God by your performance or become your own God in your own world. So religion is just that. Religion is our performance determines our hope and joy and peace and maybe, maybe, maybe our fate in eternity, right? So the problem with all that is it's a fool's errand. Because the reality is religion, in any sense, just leads to one of two places every single time. Pride or despair. And both of those are really bad places to live. Pride, wow, I'm really, really good at this checklist. I know how to quote the right things, say the right things, do the right things, pray the right things. Man, I'm really good at this. And it's, that God up there should be really pleased with how good I am at this. Or despair. Man, I look around and those people are much better at this thing than I am, right? And the reality is, uh, depending on how devout you are through religion, how long you've walked in it, uh, Whether or not you're experiencing pride or despair depends on the moment in the day. It's just on a pendulum. Sometimes you feel really, really proud about your religion. Other times, you feel really, really in despair about the fact that you don't have it all figured out, you're not very good at the performance thing, or you're not even good at being the king of your own kingdom. Right? And so this pendulum goes back and forth from pride and despair. So Jesus steps in and he's going to address this, uh, this pendulum of, of religion. And so what he does, you see it throughout the scriptures, when he deals with the people who are living in pride, he brings affliction. He calls it out. When he sees the people living in despair, he brings comfort. Right? So one of the things that you'll see throughout the scriptures, when Jesus engages with people, he's going to bring comfort to the afflicted. And he's going to afflict the comfortable. So what Jesus has been doing, it's so funny, all these religious people are following him because he's done some crazy things. He's made dead people live again. He's made lame people walk, blind people see. He's done some pretty spectacular things. And Luke has recorded that. And all sorts of people are wondering... If this, it could be the Messiah, that was the promised one, the Christ, the one who's going to make a way where there's no way, bring heaven to us, the God himself or God's son. And so there's all sorts of suspicion. And all these people are coming, and most of them are these religious people. The way they're described in the scriptures here is one of two things. Scribes or Pharisees. So the scribes are the ones who are kind of uh, the protectors of what they would call God's spoken word By, by that Uh, particularly the Old Testament, the Torah, which God gave... Through prophets and the scribes were responsible, kind of, for the photocopying of the scriptures. There was no Xerox machine, and so they'd write down. Now, if you're the one who continues to write these each and every day, and you're the one who has access to these, this antiquity, right? You become the expert on the things that you write because you're the one who has ac- access to them. So the scribes became like the well-known teachers and philosophers of the day, the the Jewish leaders, and then each scribe would kind of have his own set of mores and his own interpretations of the scriptures and each scrap would have its kind of its own group of followers of religious people and the the group of followers of religious people were actually called pharisees these were really 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 good religious people they were really good jews right and so jesus has has been interacting with this group of religious people and he remember he comes to afflict the comfortable and these guys think they have a plan and they've Made all the right choices, and they're living the right life. And Jesus comes to go, that's religion, it's performance, and it's a fool's errand because you cannot big, build a big enough ladder to get back to God. Right? And so he's talking to them, and each and every week they see the, with, I mean, by, by the, each and every week us reading it. This all happens in kind of one moment. So in these moments, Jesus is correcting and rebuking, and they get angrier and angrier. What we saw last week in the middle of these huge crowds of seething people, Jesus kind of pulls in his disciples and offers them some instruction. Now, as all this has happened, we saw him teaching, go listen to what that was about last week. He's teaching now these religious people in the thousands are all around him, and this is, this is nuts. Thousands of people did Ever gather in you know random pockets of people like this flash mob didn't show up very often throughout history. And so Jesus is there, and there's thousands of people, and there's mostly angry people who have now been afflicted by Jesus' uh, tone. And then there's some people in despair that have felt comfort in Jesus being there, speaking, giving them value and identity by looking them in the face, right? And so you have these this smaller crowd of people who are really, really picking up what Jesus is saying, and a much larger crowd who's really, really angry. Now in the middle of all this teaching and all the anger and all the frustration, someone's actually going to interrupt Jesus' teaching because he has a problem that he thinks Jesus should fix, right? Which is so interesting because so many of us have actually, we show up at church for that reason. We're not really interested in like this relationship with Jesus. We're not even really that interested in trying to access the kingdom of God. What we're interested in is God just fixing whatever that problem is right in front of us, whether it's our finances, that's a big one, whether it's addiction, another one that many of us struggle with, uh, whether it's uh, marital, big one, family, those are big ones that we kind of come and go, hey, I'm not really interested in all the stuff. I just need you to fix this problem if you're actually real, right? So many ways sounds sound offensive, but stay with me. We have all done it, so there's no judgment. We've kind of treated this possible God in the form of Jesus as this genie in a bottle. Like we come, we rub his belly and hope that he can do what we need him to do that benefits us. And there's a guy who's going to show up, rub Jesus' belly, and ask him figuratively. He doesn't really rub Jesus' belly, which would be awesome, but it'd be strange. And so that's not what happens here. So he's going to interrupt him. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. You ready? Here's what it says. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher... Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So he used the term teacher. This is a term of respect, but it isn't a term of deity. He's not calling him Lord. He's not calling him Master. He's going, yeah, 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 you're the one kind of with the microphone, and you're the one that people are listening to, so I have a problem. Will you fix it? Teacher, tell my brother, who's probably there as well, to divide the inheritance with me. So probably what's happening, and I don't know this, the Scriptures aren't clear on this, is that this is the younger brother. The older brother got all the, all the goods, just part of that culture. Got the land, got the livestock, got everything. And the younger brother has nothing. And so he's pointing out the inequity of this. And he tells Jesus to make sure the older brother gives him some stuff. So he's going, I got rights and I got a, I'm entitled to some things, and some things I should be entitled to are my, uh, my dad's stuff. So, teacher, will you tell my brother to do this? So here's the gene in the Bible. Hey, I don't, I don't want to hear the rest of it. I'm not interested in your kingdom. I'm not interested in faith. Or I don't even want to see any miracles. I just need you to tell my brother to do what I think's best. Here's Jesus' response, verse 14. But he said to him, Man... Who made me judge or arbitrator over you? This is a really interesting question because, candidly, Jesus is judge over him. He is arbitrator over him. So it could have been a really neat moment as the guy goes, Well, I believe you're God's son. He sent you. That would be a different thing. So Jesus is going to poke. He does this a lot. Whenever someone brings something to him, he's going to ask them more questions and give them answers. He is so gracious one of the things that uh, he's just smarter than we are right he is going to try to communicate in a way that this hard truth this affliction can actually be received like land on someone so he's going to start with this question who made me arbitrator and then he says this verse 15 and he said to them take care and be on guard against all covetous covetous For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So, what Jesus is about to do is he's going to talk about a very, very common worldview that many of us still operate in. This is a huge pool for us that he goes, that we desire to have an abundance of possessions. Now, many of us would say we don't do it because we're like godless, right? We just want to save for a rainy day, and you would say this, I have said this out loud growing up in a town, uh, Dalton, Georgia, which was the carpet capital of the world, right, and so back in the, the one of the first couple of big booms in the 90s of the real estate market, most people want to put carpet in their house, which personally I think is disgusting, but if you want to put carpet in your house, you are allowed to, so they put, uh, most people put carpet in the house, so these guys who had these meals were like, absolutely rich, absolutely, like literally, I remember going to Dalton junior high school, and we were a one-car family, right, and so my mom would, our dad would drop me off and go to work, and there, I'm not always, but it would not be that shocking to have a limousine. This isn't like, you know, 95, drop off a kid, right, and so I watched just the wealth of that area and all the mess of it, and then I watched that my buddies in high school just go off the deep end, right, so I'm Was suspicious that a lot of wealth doesn't actually lead to a a a true higher standard of living, right? Because seemed like the wealth created a lot more greed and a lot more complications, and eventually wrecked people's lives. So I would say I don't want to be rich. I don't want my family to be rich, right? Like so, because I'm afraid that I would uh, not be grateful, and instead I just would have greed in me. So here's all I want. All I want. I just want to be comfortable, right? You said it. I've said it, and we've said it. Like in, like, thinking there's some humility in it, right? I I don't want to be rich. I just want to be comfortable. Now, there's a complication about that because who gets to determine how much is enough for comfort? But here's what I was actually saying, right? I just want to be comfortable, meaning I don't want to depend on anyone or anything else for my security, right? Enough food in the pantry, more than enough clothes in the closet. I don't want to be rich. I just don't want to stress, as a family that's stressed about money, I just don't want to do that. So I just want to be comfortable and depend on myself for my own security, right? And so many of us have kind of lived in this. I just want enough possessions, enough possessions to be comfortable, to feel safe, to feel secure, right? And so this isn't a jab at those things. I'm not, you're not going to say you shouldn't have savings, you shouldn't do those things. I think we always got to think about future-funded ministry, meaning as long as you're on this earth, you're a minister of the gospel of Christ, and so you got to figure out how to resource your life to be able to do that, right? But when we make that our little G God, it gets complicated. And so in Jesus' says is guard against covetousness or covetousness and in that it literally means the desire for more things simple definition the desire for more things desire for more th- things guard against that right right instead learn to live a life of contentment I'll give you a really good definition of that a little bit later in the sermon so he goes guard against the, the uh, uh, life does not consist of the abundance of his possession, So he's going to tell you to guard against covetousness. Circle that, we'll be back to it. And then, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. So one of the things I told you that Jesus is going to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable, but he is so gracious and so kind. It's, he is so interested in you hearing his words and making the, them landing in your heart And creating a change in you where you see him as king of kings, lord of lords, and you decide that you want to live in his kingdom in the here and now, that you can experience heaven today. And so one of the things that he does in that is he tells these stories called parables. And the reason being is he is so aware of us, and he's so aware of how we receive criticism, right? You know this. If someone comes at you and offers you really, really, really direct criticism, even the stuff you know to be true. If that's very direct, the, the first kind of posture is always this defensiveness. Right? It's just human nature to defend first. Especially when it's just like this direct Attack that sinks your, bat- sinks your battleship, right? Like E4, and you're like, oh man, right? Whatever that is, and so your your first response is defensiveness. So Jesus, and so aware, and so kind, and so gracious, and so intentional, tells these stories called parables to help us see ourselves in the story. So a parable usually has uh, some kind of um, description or anecdote that kind of fits the period of time that people can connect with and and so this one's going to show like an agrarian society with a a rich farmer right so that would have been the culture of the day and in most parables someone in the parable is going to represent you and i and someone in the parable is going to represent god or jesus now, this one's really easy, because he said, God said. So this one will be really easy to see where God fits into it. So he tells a parable. And he says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. So that word rich just means an abundance of resources. He just said guard against our desire to, to have a covetousness and, because life does not just exist on a, an abundance of possessions. And now he's going to point to a guy who has an abundance of possessions. Got it? Abundance of possessions. This is the guy. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Now, already, not, not only was he already really, really rich, he had a way to create more wealth from his richness. Right? So This is like... Uh, what Albert Einstein said is the eighth wonder of the world is compound interest. Really, really interesting thought. Like, And we're seeing this kind of happen in our world right now, especially through COVID. Uh, people that were really poor are still really poor, if not poorer. And people that were extremely wealthy are actually, actually got a lot more wealth, like exponentially more wealth in the middle of this pandemic. What seems to be happening is... The middle is kind of disappearing. Now, there's a lot to think about there if you like philosophy to think about the middle disappearing in all sorts of categories, not just wealth. The middle disappearing in politics. Just the middle, the you know the the middle ground seems to be disappearing and there just seems to be extremes right so this guy would have been on the extreme end of wealth because he figured out a way for his land to make more money than people do that's the problem with where we are now you cannot actually make enough, you make less money working right now than wealthy people do just sitting and having their money make more money this isn't a shot of that right I, I, this isn't god wants you to be poor right it's not even that god is anti-rich None of that stuff's true, but you'll see how this matters in a second. So this is a guy who has a lot, Now watch what it says. And he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? So he thinks about it, and he goes, oh, I got a problem. Man, it's a difficult problem too, right? Like he's producing and yielding all this stuff, and he doesn't have barns big enough to store it. Now remember, this guy's probably going, I don't want to be rich. I just want to be comfortable. And comfort has to do with your security to not have to depend on anyone or anything else. So this guy thinks, how do I store all this stuff for a rainy day? Right? He probably liked rainy days because, you know, the yielding of the the produce. But how do I store and protect my security? So what does he do? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones and there I will store all my grain and my goods. So he looks at it and he goes, here's the problem. I a big enough barns, so the solution to the big enough, not big enough barns is to tear them down and build bigger ones. don't know if you've kept up with the housing market or what's happened over the last 30, 40 years in terms of the size of people's homes. They have quadrupled since the 50s. And one of the reasons is we need more storage. But here's the crazy thing. This is the crazy thing. We run out of storage in our own homes. So then what we do is we pay for these 10 by 10, 12 by 12 metal buildings that we give money to each and every month off-site of our house to store that junk. Now, here's the really interesting thing. The size of that metal building that we rent is actually nicer in terms of square footage and in terms of protection from the elements than what the majority of people live in throughout the world. Most people find uh, the idea of having a tin or metal building to live in too expensive. So one of the things I want you to hear here is that when Jesus is talking about the abundance of this guy, he's actually talking about most of us not to be offensive right again jesus is not anti-wealth or richness but in this deal this guy has too much he doesn't know what to do and so his space doesn't a lot for enough so he literally tears down good barns right we know what this is like we see it all the time on the on the oceans people are tearing down perfectly good houses to build bigger condos perfectly good houses right And we even see it with like the extreme makeover home edition. It's too hard to renovate the house. So the best solution is actually just to knock the whole house down and start completely over, right? So this guy, he goes in and he goes, I need this sort of stuff. So he knocks down all of his barns. Now, for for a few people in the crowd, they thought, yeah, that makes sense. For most of the people in the crowd, that would have been really offensive that they would have been tearing down buildings because resources were hard to come by right? It's not like they could just go to Lowe's and buy some more pressure-treated wood, right? None of that going on, and so for most people in this, this would be like, what? What is he doing? No, Jesus' own story, verse 19, and I will say to my soul, so finally this guy uh, builds the grain and goods, and now he's going to have more conversations to himself, and he's going to talk to his soul. I will say to my soul, a reminder, that word soul literally comes from this word of breathing, that very part of you that you can never get away from, That part of you that when you feel pain or sorrow, that you feel it. That part of you at night, whenever you're laying down and you cannot escape that part of you, that's your soul, right? And so this soul which will live forever, this soul which experiences pain and hardship and sorrow, this guy starts speaking to his own soul and he says to his soul, soul, hear this? You have ample goods laid up for many years. He has now achieved this place of comfort. Ah, oh, ah, oh, so nice, right? Goods laid up many years, and he tells himself, "Hey, Josh, now's the time to relax, to eat, drink, and be merry." Right? This is what we all want. We all want to relax. In fact, that's why we take the pill, drink the bottle. Right? Because there's just something in our soul that can't not relax. And we long for these moments of relaxation. And so we found something that for a moment would give us that relaxation. The problem is, you know, you play the tape forward, that no longer gives you any relaxation. Now you just need it to survive. And so this guy goes, I have all this stuff. Finally, I can relax and I can enjoy the good things of life, eating and drinking and being merry. This guy has operated with this worldview that most of us in our world operate in. We need to get to a place that finally, whatever it takes, you can relax, eat, drink, and be in all of us, me included. Long for that day. So what is wrong with this picture? It seems like a guy's smart, good stewardship, and he has a good good plan. He has beat the system, he has figured it out, and he has figured out a way to enjoy life without all the hardship that most people experience. There are millions of people in this category right now and they think, oh, finally I can relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And if any of you have gotten to that place of life, you've discovered that it's really not a place of eating and drinking and being merry. But for a moment this sounds really desirable. Everybody's leaning in and going, ah! That guy has what I have. Now, remember I told you, in this story, someone represents us. I want to be real clear here that we represent the rich person, right? And, and then we're going to have someone represent God, verse 20. We now know who God is, and it says this, but God said to him, Fool. Now there's two words for fool in the scriptures. This is the second time Jesus has used it with the same crowd. This is not the word for stupid. This is not the one that he says don't call someone stupid or fool. This is a much worse one. This word literally kind of can be defined as foaming at your mouth. So this is someone who, it's interesting, says to his soul, and now when Jesus is communicating that this certainly seems like someone who has lost contact with his soul. Like, so someone who no longer has any morals, any awareness, just foaming at the mouth as a maniac, right? So he goes, you maniac, you fool, right? Uh, You insane one is what he is saying here. And he says, this night, your soul, same word that the guy uses, your soul, that part of you that you will never, ever, ever, ever escape. The part of you that you got to figure out a way to nurture because you will never be apart from it. Never, right? But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, meaning it's been entrusted to you, and now God's taken it back. Your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? Whose will they be? So you spend all this time, and all this energy gathering all this stuff that you think one day you will be able to eat, drink, and be merry, and enjoy it all, and guess what? Your life was cashed in tonight, and so who Whose will it be? Maybe he's got family. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe it goes over to the state. Maybe it is turned over to the government. Maybe it's distributed. But what we do know is he does not actually get to eat, drink, and enjoy it. He goes, you fool. This night, your soul will be required of you. And then he offers us kind of the the moral of the story, verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So so is the one who has spent all their life and all the energy making themselves the focus, making themselves and their kingdom the most important thing, right? Many of us, uh, religion is man tempt to either get to God, back to God or become our own God. have come up with this plan where we're just Lord of our own kingdom. We don't have to depend on God or anyone else. So it's just all ours. And he goes, those of us who do that, we are fools. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself, all for himself, and is not rich towards god see the man didn't realize it but the choice he made was foolish the man didn't realize it uh realize it but the choice he made was covetousness right like he chose this desire for more and more things restoring more things that man didn't realize it but his heart was filled with greed you notice he didn't say i have too much i should share Nope, just consumed it all. So this is a man who has just chosen this path that's gonna lead to destruction. And this is a man who decided that he would just build bigger containers and receive it all. You see, what we gotta figure out is how are we built and why are we built that way? Like, why does God give blessings? Why why does God do those things? So the first big question you gotta ask is, why in the world did Jesus speak this way? Or let's imagine this is a real man. Why does God talk to him? like this why it's really important we get this it's really simple too ready because he loves him because he loves him that's it he is speaking this way he is afflicting the comfortable because he loves him he is saying you're going to put all your hope in this thing that cannot satisfy you or fulfill you And even if it could, one day you will fail it and it won't be able to forgive you. That soul will not be able to inherit the kingdom of God on this life. Because you cannot build big enough wealth. You cannot build big enough bridges to get back to God. So he says these things because he loves him and so we got to go you got to understand jesus spoke these words luke captured these words both timely so theophilus would go i'm the rich guy i'm the one who's built up all these things and i keep saying caesar is lord because it meets my needs of my desire for security and comfort so he'd go oh i'm the rich guy timely the- theophilus would go oh that's me By the way, we can assume that there's this radical life change for Theophilus because Theophilus actually decides to fund an additional project. He actually funds the Gospel of Luke, the sequel. And the sequel is just as good. Very rare for that to happen, but the sequel is just as good. Luke writes this book called The Actions of the Apostles. So Theophilus even funds the story of the first century church of what they did in the middle of chaos and confusion and greed. And manipulation, right? So this guy, we can, we can deduce and assume that he had this radical moment where he goes, I'm the rich guy. I don't want to be a fool. So then he has to decide what does he do with his affluence? What does he do with his affluence? And at that moment, where we, he has to decide, same thing, decide do we do want to store it and contain it? Or do we want to be a conduit by which it flows freely? Right, and So then if we go, the purpose for God having this conversation with his people here was because he loved them. The purpose for having Luke capture this story so it would be read on August 1st, 2021 to all of you is the same exact thing. Because he loves you. So what do we do as the ones who have extra possessions? What do we do as the ones who lean probably closer to this rich man than the, 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 the poor folks with little to no resources? What do we do? What do we do? See, this is how it kind of works. And I think this will be helpful to just for you to get the imagery. I <laughs> uh, put a face on it or something. <sighs> See, this is my life right here. And what I've done for most of it is continue to gather more things, gather more things, gather more things. Uh, what I gather is so messed up. It's just stories. I love a crazy experience in a story. That's why I buy most of my stuff on Craigslist. Not even kidding. Like I love some crazy stories, and you're gonna like I. I I've told you before. I built pools in my backyard with a shovel. That I mean, it was horrible, but I built it. I was really <laughs> proud of it. I have built pools. i I've literally. Oh man, there's just so many ridiculous stories. I've had. I've had a car break down that the transmission went bad on a 76 Corvette and I didn't know how to get it home but the transmission would go in reverse so I'd drive it all the way through town in reverse and it was so complicated because I had no idea which lane to be in right a lot a lot I mean I'm telling you those are like the small level of just really crazy stories I like a good experience and I like to collect stories but along the way I realized stories and experiences weren't enough and then I finally go back to school and get my degree by the way I like I'm 28 29 before I ever finish my bachelor's degree and I'm like I guess I got to keep going right because, I mean, I got to collect something. And uh, so I, you know, collected a master's degree, actually two, and kept going. And then went and did the doctoral thing. And then, even in the middle of the doctoral thing, just kind of felt like, ah, oh, this isn't even that exciting. So I was bored when writing the dissertation. So, what I did every day is I went to shopgoodwill.com. It's like a Goodwill online. And I bought huge lots of baseball cards and garbage ball kids. And- oh, well, that is not a joke. I have thousands of Hot Wheels. I don't even like Hot Wheels. I didn't collect them growing up. I have every single garbage ball kid that's been ever created. Right? Garbage ball kids from the 90s. I have all sorts of stuff. Why? Because I just collect stuff. I went through a phase in, my, in the 2000s where I bought a bunch of old Swatch watches. From, like I'm talking about hundreds of Swatch watches watches. Yeah, don't stare at Julie down here. She's being very gracious with her face, right? But, like, could you imagine being married to that chaos? Collect, collect, collect. So, man, was I a good collector. Collector degrees, right? Got a doctorate. So exciting. A couple years back, and finally, that's off the list, and I just keep collecting, and collecting, and collecting. More things. I have every single Ralph Lauren polo shirt that's ever been made. I have five pair of Converse All-Stars. I go to Goodwill at least once a week. And, and you're laughing. But really, just this weird collection. And I don't even know why. It's not like I think if I have enough Converse, I'll feel comfort and security. But because somehow I'm just getting bought into this life that just hops in the, hops in the current and just collects, collects, collects. Another project at the house. Another renovation. Oh, not enough. A pool, right? Okay, got to build a pool. Hope oh, it's not perfect. We got to put in another round of plaster. Still not perfect. Let's do it again. Still not perfect. Let's do it a third time, right? We need fruit trees. Lots of fruit trees in the yard. <laughs> you understand the journey, right? Like, and it's really funny to think about and laugh at until you clock the amount of hours of gathering and collecting. The amount of hours arguing with the pool company on the phone. The amount of hours folding and storing and organizing junk. Hot wheels. Gotta build shelves for them, right? Like the amount of time and energy that was just spent on things that have no return. You know what it's like? It's like staying in a hotel for a night and going, I don't like this. And then going and buying new furniture and new artwork, ripping out the walls, extending it. And then the next day, checking out. And yet, there's a the kingdom of heaven that's available to us. It's available to us. Right now, we get to step into eternity, which means at some point, we've got to decide whether or not we're going to be people who are just going to build bigger containers, 2,000 square feet. Now it seems like a small house somehow. Bigger containers to store more things, to gather more things. All the while, all around us is just absolute chaos. So you go, why in the world would God say this to us? Because he loves us. So it leads to the next question. Why in the world would God give us things then? Why would he give me all those things? Why would he give me a brain that can do school? Why would he give me a basement to store stuff? Why would he give me those things? If the very things he gives me, gives us, actually leads to this place where we just store and hoard and hoard, right? Like you don't even like your closet anymore. There's too much stuff in it. And we buy more stuff but don't get rid of the old stuff. Why in the world does God continue to bless us? And I would argue that's why I and you at times are not experiencing the blessing that we long for because why in the world would he give us more stuff if we're just going to build a bigger container to eventually we pop you see, then we got to go, well, what's the purpose of all the stuff? Hmm, it's not a container, it's a conduit. God says, goes in you to go through you. Goes in you to go through you. If you put an end to it, all that's going to happen is you're going to be obese, physically, if there's no end. Right to the point that you pop. Your house is going to be covered up with stuff. Your yard is going to be covered up with stuff and you're going to be so exhausted maintaining things. When you were asking for the blessing, God was giving you the blessing, but then you just build a bigger container. So we are in a chaotic world right now. Chaotic world. And we are caught in this current of our culture that we're all swimming and we're all gathering and we're all collecting and it's led to a miserable life with miserable people that have way more stuff than they need. So what do we do? What do we do? We have to learn to be content. So we cannot choose covetousness. We have to learn to be content. Well, what does that mean? And here's how I define contentment. It's not even mine. I think Stephen Furtick used it a long time ago in a book. Contentment is this. If God hasn't given it to you yet, it's because you don't need it yet. That's simple. If God has not provided it to you yet, it's because you don't need it yet now the flip side of that then if god has given it to you there's only one reason he gave give it to you so that you can use it of the building and participating in his kingdom if god hasn't given it to you it's because you don't need it but if he has given it to you then let's just draw the conclusion that the reason he's given it to you is because he wants you to use it for the kingdom not to contain it because it's just it's exhausting not to live with greed or live in foolishness of more and more and more debt If he's given it to us the only reason he's given it to us is for us to experience the blessing and share that blessing with other people and this is why God very clearly says this let me read that last verse again so is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not hear these words rich toward God Now, what's interesting is this word toward God here. Almost exclusively throughout the scriptures, it defines a land that you're going to go to. Right? They went to Jerusalem. They went toward Galilee. It is all about a destination with a purpose. And so he goes, you want to be faithful and not foolish. The way that you're faithful is you are rich towards God. In other words, you are taking your resources and you're putting them towards the things of God. Right, think about we we take our wealth and we put it towards all sorts of things. Many of us are putting our wealth right now towards our debt because we leveraged our future for our present years ago and now we're experiencing, right? So we put our riches towards our debt to get out of slavery. Right? To get out of bondage. Many of us put our riches towards our vacations, right? Not a shot, put our riches towards our retirement. There's all these things that we take and we put them towards those things. And hear me again, it is not foolish to save and That Make a plan for future-funded ministry. Retirement is future-funded ministry. It's that you will have more space and more time to participate more in the kingdom of God. Not as John Piper says, to go and waste your life by collecting seashells. Right? And so there is wise stewardship of putting money in savings, being rich towards God, of thinking about future funded ministry. It makes sense that you would have life insurance, right? So that your spouse and your kids can have future funded ministry. As long as the goal is going, God has given it to us. He wants us to be rich towards Him so we can be a blessing to others. Blessing to others. So, the church, we get to figure this out. And we got to figure out... How to change our thinking and culture and this. let me get some questions you should be asking. And I share these every time we talk about anything to do with resources. The first one is to figure out what you're actually deserving or entitled to. It's a really good place to start. This guy goes, tell my brother he should give me half of it. What do we actually deserve? What are we entitled to? We're hearing all about these inalienable rights. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, voting, whatever the the category continues to add to these inalienable rights. So what is it you're actually entitled to? And the reality is nothing. Nothing. In fact, what you're actually entitled to, what we actually deserve, is an eternity disconnected from the God of the universe because we have all turned our backs on him, told him we weren't interested in him, and told him he didn't exist. So what we actually deserve is an eternity hell we'll call it that disconnected from him so when you start there anything greater than hell is an absolute gracious gift from God, And so it should move us from this place of greed to this place of gratitude. So what are we entitled to? Absolutely nothing, which blows my mind that Jesus continues to pour on his blessings on us. If he did nothing else for us, in fact, if he took away the oxygen from the earth right now, what he did for us 2,000 years ago, making a way where there was no way, bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth and giving it to us and saying, by faith you get to access this, that was not more than we deserved. If he did nothing else for us, he has been more than gracious. And the crazy thing is he will continue to bless us. As long as we're a conduit, not a container. Another thing it says is, be careful to guard yourself against covetousness. So a really important question to ask is, what are you actually guarding against? What are you and I guarding against? Some of us are guarding against boredom. Because we actually haven't come face to face with who we are and how much God loves us. And become comfortable in our own skin as we work through what Jesus is doing in us. Some of us cannot handle silence. There's a pain and sorrow in it. So many of us are guarding against boredom and aloneness. So we continue, as most of us, though, are guarding against fear of not being secure or comfortable. So what are we guarding ourselves against? Instead, how do we not guard ourselves against the covetousness of this world? The way to do it is to continue to be a conduit, continue to push the blessings you have out into this world and kingdom. One of the things that we usually ask in that and really, really helpful is this question, well, how much do I need to do? How much do I need to give? How much do I need to serve, right? So is it 10%? Is it 5%? Like, what is the number? Like, what is the number that I need to do so that God will be good with me? And again, the goal isn't to make God happy with you. He's already happy with you. You are his child. There is nothing you can do to make God love you any less so that's not the goal the goal is God wants you to be fully alive and love life and enjoy life to the fullest by enjoying him forever right and so when we ask the question well how much do I have to give it's like oh we're missing out on what God actually wants for us which is for us to actually enjoy the kingdom and the kingdom is not experienced in an abundance of possessions it's a better question to ask you got to go instead of how much do I need to give the better question is how much do I need to keep how much money do I actually need How much space do I actually need? How many hours of alone time and private time and family time do I need instead of participating in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? So how how much do you need? How much should you keep rather than how much should you give? The biggest question I just want to make sure to remind you of is one of the things we get caught up in, in our foolishness, and our greed, is we spend a lot of time going, why don't we have what we don't have? Why don't I have what I don't have? And remember the definition of contentment. If God hasn't given it to you, it's because you don't need it. So instead of continuing to ask the question, why don't I have what I don't have? Why don't I have kids who behave? Why don't I have, you know, that car, that house, that pool? Why don't I have what I don't have? Much better question is why has God given me what he's given me? will answer it for you. Because he wants you to use it in experiencing life to the fullest, and the way they experience life to the fullest is by being a conduit and being a distributor of those resources, of that hope of that peace, of that joy. He gives it to you so you can make it available. So we receive it, we receive it, and it's not a reservoir, we're not holding on to it, but it fills us, and what we've got to remember is this. it fills us, it's like filling cups down a line. First thing that happens is the cup gets full, and then out of the overflow, it starts pouring in the next one. So you receive it, you receive it, you receive it, but you don't put a lid on it, you don't put a container on it, and instead, you allow God to dump his resources on you so that you can pour out your resources to others. So instead of saying, why don't I have what I don't have? Instead think about it in this way. Why has God given me what he's (coughs) given me? And the last one is this. Do you view your life? Do you view your possessions? Do you view your role as being a container or a conduit? Container or a conduit? If God is pouring into you, what do you do with what he's poured into you? And so on Tuesday during overtime, I want to teach you about a passage in Malachi where God opens up the floodgates of heaven and pours out his riches on people. And there is a way by which that happens. So I would challenge you to join us for Tuesday at overtime, Tuesday at noon. You can join us. But for now, I just want you to think, why is God given me what he's given me? The reason is because he wants you to be a conduit of his blessing. And so we got to think about this. When Jesus offers us something, and Gary's going to come up here and walk us, through, uh, uh, walk us through communion. This is literally Jesus pouring out his riches and blessings. And the way that he does is he pours it out from himself to us. He offers his body. He offers his blood. He offers a sacrifice. And you go, well, why does he do it? First and foremost, because he loves you. Second, because he wants to fill you. Third, because he wants as a the result of you receiving him for you and to receive his spirit, that all the overflow of your spirit, you become his hands and feet. So as we think about communion today, I want you to think about how this communion turns you into a conduit of God's grace and love and mercy and hope and peace, as opposed to the one who just receives it and contains it and holds on to it just for ourselves. So Gary, would you come lead us yep. in communion as we prepare our hearts for it?
1: Thanks, Josh. So if you think about conduits and what does it mean to actually allow God to work through us, you know, one of the images that Jesus uses is he talks about um, that he is um, he's the vine and we're the branches. And that kind of image is a kind of conduit image where we allow God to actually work through us and move through us in ways that we can then be God's people in the place that God's called us to. And so I want you to think about that because as we're thinking about this, about reservoirs and, um, and then also canals, you know, canals bring the water someplace. And so what is it that God has given us and how does God want to work in the midst of that in our lives? The table, when we come to it, and if you have um, your communion with you, would, inc- would invite you to, to take it out at this time, but it allows us to reflect and empty ourselves, but in order that God might actually fill us in order that God might actually be with us and, and remind us. And when we come to the table and we take communion together, one of the things we're doing is we're, we're admitting that we need a Savior. Um, we're admitting that we can't save ourselves. Um, we're admitting that Jesus is Lord, that we see him as that. Uh, we believe that he died and rose again. And we're also admitting that we're God's people, Um, that were called by God because of God's love and God's grace. So I want to um, invite you to remember with me today the story. It was on the night that he was betrayed. Jesus took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks for it. And he said to them, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So I'd invite you to take um, the bread uh, carefully as it um, tends to crumble and to partake together. Let's eat together. And then in the same way after they had eaten the bread together, he also took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant which is poured out in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Let's pray. So God, we give you thanks for your love and that you are a conduit of grace in our lives. And we pray today, God, that as we've been together um, here and had the chance to, um, to be reminded of your great sacrifice and your love for us, that God, you would just um, fill us. We, um, we empty ourselves grateful for who you are, but ask that you would fill us with your love and that we would be conduits of your grace to all people that we come in contact with. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
2: Made of solid gold, bitches, that.
0: challenge you uh, this week to receive God's blessings, but then be conduits of it. The scriptures tell us that God is so gracious to us so that we'd be gracious to one another. He tells Abraham, I will bless you so that you can be a blessing. And so let me pray for you that you would be a blessing this week. So Jesus, would you bless us? Would you pour out your blessings on us today, God? Would you bless us immeasurably more than we could contain anyway? And God, would you give us the courage and the capacity to be blessings to everyone we encounter. May we walk in your grace and peace and joy and be distributors of your grace and peace and joy and hope to our world. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus, amen. Love you guys and see you on Tuesday for overtime or see you next week.